You're going to want to take your mask off for this one. It's Mikey J on KGUP Presents. Mothers, lock up your daughters. It's time to see Mikey J. Mikey J. Are you f***ing with me? We're dealing with one sick son of a bitch. Now I'm chasing after rings. Put a on me king. Now I'm chasing after rings. Yeah. Let's go. Now I'm chasing after rings. just heard rings followed by notorious by none other than santino how'd you like my intro oh, perfect i love that i love it <laughs> so in case this is the first time you're you're listening to the show you know uh kgup fm used to be a podcast and uh that was back in 2009 so we've been we've been here for a while you know that was when i was back in college you know i was actually pursuing a career in journalism Okay. And then, uh, one day I saw on the the website it said a podcast, and there was only one podcast on there. I was gonna say 2009. You were probably one of the first people to be podcasting early, before the I, big boom. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, action at that time. I, I think uh, Adam Carolla had started a podcast, and he had remained number one for like two years. Well, I was actually the first one to knock him off at number one. Oh, there you go. That's nice. Yeah. Oh. So 2011, that was a big year. And that, that was right before we launched our, our radio station in 2012. And, uh, you know, I just predicted that Internet radio was going to be like the thing and not realizing that podcasts would make a huge comeback. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it but, really has. It really has. Yeah. I listen to a lot of podcasts, actually, because I travel so much. So yeah. it's, I, when we travel and drive, it's just right. a way to zone out, you know. Yeah, yeah, I do that too. I mean, you know, when I used to go to work, I used to ride the bus and, and take the train and, and right. just kind of chill out and just zone <laughs> out. I'm listen to a podcast. <laughs> yeah. So happy to bring it back and I'm happy to have you as a guest. We're happy. Thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure. So um, how I discovered you is through a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Chelsea Perkins. Chelsea, that's my, that's my sister. I love and, uh, Chelsea. We we known each other for quite a while. You know, we actually gave her a, an award for best pop song, and wow, I knew, that's awesome. yeah, and uh, it looks like she's on the market for to win another one, even if it's just figuratively. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> she is. She's a she's a really dope artist. She works really hard. Uh, we actually were. We I was in. I'm I'm in the process of moving to LA. Uh, so I'm in Cincinnati or Ohio right now until Sunday. But I was in LA three weeks ago, I think. And me and Chelsea were in the studio. We recorded a pretty dope record that I'm excited about. So when I get back to LA, we'll be mixing and working on more of that record. Nice, nice. Yeah, she had uh, put on Instagram to check you out. And, and so I did. And dude, I was just floored by the song. I mean, it was just phenomenal. Wow, like, thank you. Man. Yeah, I listened to it immediately, approved it, and, and put it on the air that, that afternoon. And then... Um, you know, I noticed that you didn't have a video, so I kind of threw in little clips of like Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson, right. and Bruce Lee, and Jim Kelly, because that oh, was my- Great picks, by the way, for that video. It made perfect sense. Yeah, 
I mean, that's what I felt when I heard the song. Like, I imagine all these boxers and fighters. Yeah, you know? that was yeah, that was a plan for us before this whole COVID thing, you know. So, oh yeah, we're, totally. we're, we're just adjusting like everybody else, though. Trying <laughs> to awesome. figure out ways to drop content and stuff like that. Right, you know, because normally we only play like alternative okay. music and pop, and hip hop is very niche. You know, yeah. people don't t- typically cross genres; They're, they just kind of like stick to their own music, and that's it. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I heard your song, I was just like. I gotta play this, man. Oh uh, man, thank you. Yeah, you know, I remember back in the day, you know, like like the MTV days, they mm-hmm. would play everything, you know, right. rock, sure. country, rap. That's why I know a lot of music just from watching MTV growing up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a lot of alternative music. Exactly. So, like my business partner and I, we've always like had that that image of like bringing that that type of music back, and you know he has his own uh, TV network, and and then so we the TV show on there, and, and this year just you know COVID nineteen just put a wrench in everything, and and we had to like rethink how we were gonna redo the season two. I was like, you know what, let's just do a podcast, go old school, you know? Right. I mean, yeah, you already had the experience, so it just made extra sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean- after I heard your song, mm-hmm. and then I, I heard Rings after you released that, and I was like, that just elevated it to another level. Yeah, man, that's that's <laughs> always kind of been a running theme with my music at 83 Sound. They mm-hmm. kind of want me to make that triumphant rap music. We feel like there's a huge market for that because a lot of these companies want to use rap music. I mean, let's be honest, hip-hop is the number one genre in the world. Yep. So yep. these companies want to use this rap music, but it's too kind of... It's too explicit for them, you know what I mean? So they yeah. have a hard, they have a hard time trying to get it fitted into their marketing stuff. So we decided, hey, let's do a bunch of rap music and not cussing it. So yeah. I always joke like now I'm like the 2020 Will Smith, you know what I mean? So that's always been our thing, like not cussing, just kind of keep the energy and make it kind of not sports related, but something you can you can work out to, it can inspire you, you know what I mean? Like right. just people who are in the arts, like you know how it gets hard sometimes. You just made me that extra inspiration. So that's where that kind of vibe comes from. You know, ring when you associate with rings, you're thinking of football. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just thinking of doing a video for that and just playing football hard and, and winning winning the championship, you know. For that championship. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. You never know. Cincinnati may go from the bottom to the top and all in one year. <laughs> <laughs> I highly doubt that. I'm not going to put my money on that, but we'll see. I mean, I'm – you know, I was born and raised in Cincinnati and I grew up a big part of my life in New York, but I always been a Cincinnati sports fan. But this last decade and a half, it's been kind of crazy. <laughs> oh, just when you think they're going to come back, man, they, they just do something stupid and, and they just fall off. <laughs> yeah, especially that playoff game a few years ago against uh, the Steelers when they I thought they were going to advance in the playoffs for the first time since I was in second grade, I believe. So <laughs> then they just they, they shit the bed, man. So. It just is what it is. We got a new quarterback. We'll see how that goes. I've actually told myself since I moved into LA, I'm just going to convert to a Rams fan. Why not? (laughs) Well, I I tried to convert to a Rams fan, but I'm I'm having a hard time. I'm still I'm still a diehard like 49er fan. And uh, the Bay Area. Yeah, and then I had that pictured when I did a little more research on you, and I heard goat. You know, greatest of all time, and I was like, oh my god, this guy just doesn't stop, man. Yeah, dude, we were on, we were on it, man. <laughs> we were on it. I mean, get rid of Pitbull, man. Let's get this guy in. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, you know what? I'm not mad at that. Pitbull is like, Pitbull is like a flow rider to me. He can go anywhere, 
And mm. that international money, I mean, come on, who want, who's going to complain about that? You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I'll definitely go international. I'm not complaining about that at all. Yeah. That's a good comparison. Well, speaking of GOAT, uh, tell us about that song. How did you feel when it got placed on Jeopardy? Oh, yeah. That was a crazy um, experience. Uh, out of Sight, who was the founder and also an artist at the label, um, 83 Sound, He, we. that was the first record I did with the label. So maybe about a year and a half ago, um, out of sight called me and he's like, yo, I got this record. I want you to, um, you know, and I already had the hook on it. You know what I'm saying? So he's like, I want you to, to write some verses to it. So I'm like, cool. And that really was him. They were starting the label. Then they offered me a deal all in that same time. So it was like, we got this song. We want you to write to it. And we're starting a label and we want to sign you. So it was like, wow. oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, cool. You know what I'm saying? So I write the song, record it, send it back. Cause I did that here in Cincinnati. I sent it back and they loved it or whatever. We get it mixed and mastered. And I think on New Year's Eve, Out of Sight calls me and he's like, hey, we got a placement. An ABC show picked up GOAT, but I'm not sure what show it is. So I'm like, okay, yeah. that's crazy. So it's my first placement. They call, they don't really know what show it is. They just know it's an ABC show. So I go home and I hop on the computer and I'm like looking at all ABC shows. Like what shows do they have? I'm trying to guess, you know, yeah. what show picks it up. And sure enough, maybe about a week later, he calls, he's like, yo, it's Jeopardy. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I would have never, like, if you would have, I would have never guessed Jeopardy. Like, you, like, ignored it. <laughs> right. I mean, it goes back to what I was saying with these companies want to use rap music. Like, I guess they heard that and it just fit their theme because they were doing a tournament that week and it was the greatest of all time tournament. So it just all kind of made sense and fit into place, you know? Right. But it was just a wild experience just to, you know, hear you hear my voice interwoven with Alex Trebek and in the, in the Jeopardy commercial. And um, Cincinnati's a pretty, it's a small, big city. So it was mm -hmm. kind of a big deal around here when that happened. They had me on the news. It was on, on like three radio stations. I was even on the pop radio station here, which was like, it's like a thing here. Like not, too, they don't let rappers on the pop radio station. So that was, a, it was a good monumental day for us. Yeah, I could see that that song being on a, on a pop station because it's not vulgar. You're not disrespecting anybody, right? You know, I, I think that's the the problem with rap today is that it's a little too graphic. You right, know? right. You don't know who you're offending these days. <laughs> yeah, you know, everybody's just so you know sensitive these days. You know, right? Hypersensitive. <laughs> so that brings me to eighty three sound because you mentioned that, and of course, mm -hmm. you know, you got that emblem on there to represent eighty three. So that means that they helped you get the placement, of course. And yes. uh, how did you guys meet up? Well, um, out of sight, I've worked with um, in some form or another for about a decade now. Um, his road manager, uh, Andre Hibbert, was my manager at the time. And I know him from going to school at Long Island University in Brooklyn, New York. So we met in 02. Around 07, I was doing a lot of local things. And then I kind of blew up in the tri-state area here, the Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana circuit, but it's all college. So I was touring with Mac Miller at the time, opening oh, wow. up MGK. Yeah, Mac Miller was a good friend of mine, uh, opening up for MGK and doing a lot of festivals in this area. So I kind of was building a name for myself. And at that time, Out of Sight had a record out called Tonight's Tonight that was everywhere. It was on a Pepsi commercial. It's in a bunch of movies and all that stuff. So they were touring that record and Andre was just kind of following my my progress, unbeknownst to me, you know. Mm -hmm. So 
he randomly tweets me one day and goes, call me. And I'm thinking, I don't even have your number. Like, I just, <laughs> Dre was somebody like I knew from college. Like, I'm like, what's he want? Like, you know? So I get his number, I call him. He's like asking me like, what are you doing now? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I didn't really have the the knowledge of the game then. I was just kind of throwing shit at the wall and seeing if it stuck at the time. And I didn't, I needed some guidance. And I think Dre saw that. So Dre's like, yeah, I want to manage you or whatever. So I think a couple weeks later, out of sight was performing at Lollapalooza, so he had me come out to Chicago, meet up with them. So I think that was it wasn't the first time I met out of sight because he actually came to Cincinnati for a show and they called me and then Dre was like, Hey, come down. You know, we hadn't seen each other for seven years. So I came down and the story goes, Dre's like, Yeah, we were at the radio, we were at the club. So I asked everybody if they knew you because you know, people be like, Yeah, I'm the man in my hometown, you know what I'm saying? So he was kind of he wanted to see if it was for real. So yeah. he he asked the people at the radio, they knew me. He asked the people at the club and they knew me. He was like, Yeah, that's how I knew you weren't bullshitting. So that just kind of <laughs> turned into him uh managing me and we dropped a lot of projects together. And in between that, out of sight's doing his thing. So they would have me come to out of sight's things and just kind of be around and learn to learn the system and learn the game or whatever. So cut to now, you know, at the beginning of the, well, it's actually last year sometime, him and uh, Cook Classic, who is a uh, platinum producer and also another founder on a label, they decided they wanted to make a label. I mean, they've been, they've, they've done the ups and downs things with the industry and labels. So they figure, hey, let's go independent and, and build our own thing, you know? So they found the label and, and they called me and I was the first one that they signed just based off of the relationship that I had with them for years. And Goat, like I said, Goat was the first record they sent me because Dre was talking without a sight and he said, I got this record. I think Tino would be good on it. So, you know, they sent it to me and the rest was history. And, and now we just got a stockpile of those records just waiting and waiting for good things. Wow. So what took you from, from Cincinnati, Ohio to Brooklyn? Um, well, I was at, I was an athletic kid growing up. I, I was going to play oh, okay. football, Division II football and Division II baseball. And that, and my senior year, I kind of run into some problems with the, with the administration and stuff like that. And I kind of took a year off out of school. In between that year, I was training for football to go to Ohio Northern University. And my application didn't get sent for some reason. I think my mom was like trying to say like to me at the time, I don't think you're really ready to do this. So I'm 18 years old, uh, no, actually I'm 19 at the time. And then she goes, well, why don't you go to that school that you show me in the back of that magazine in New York City? And what it was, was a Source magazine. And I showed her in the back of the Source. And if you can remember Vibe magazines, they used to have like, you know, uh, advertisements for schools and stuff like that. And it was an audio engineer school. And at the time I knew nothing about music. Like I just knew that's something I would want to do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm like, you, you talking about that audio engineering school? And she's like, yeah, why don't you uh, look into that? So we look into that and uh, kind of fast forward a little bit. I wind up getting into the school. So it's September, 2001. Like the wow. first week, I'm in, I go to, actually, I go to New York City for the first time in my life, not two weeks before 9-11. So I come back Ooh. to Ohio, September 11, that morning I get a call from a friend. He goes, I guess you're not moving to New York. And I'm like, what, the, what are you talking about, you know? So I turn on the TV, obviously see what's going on. I moved there eight days after that. So that's what took me to wow. be in, quote, unquote, the music industry. So I moved to New York City eight days after 9-11. Uh, I go to Institute of Audio Research, kind of breeze my way through there. It was only a six-month program. So then I wind up at Long Island University where I meet Dre. So 
I wound up getting kicked out of school. I was kind of a wild dude. I'm the party guy back in the day. You know what I mean? Like, when I'm yeah. older, got kids and married. It's not so much. But back in my college days, I was pretty wild. So I wound up getting kicked out of my dorms. I didn't get kicked out of school. I got kicked out of my <laughs> dorms. So rather than go back to Cincinnati, I'm like, I don't want to feel like a failure if I go back. So I'll just sleep on a train until I figured it out. So I slept on a train for a long time in New York City, just trying to figure out what I was going to do wow. with myself and that just music took me there and that turned into me becoming a rapper and here we are. So did you always wanted to be a rapper or did you like other styles of music? I, I've always loved styles of music. I mean, I have Jimi Hendrix like tattooed on my chest right here. So I've nice. always loved, you know, rock and roll. I'm a huge Prince fan. Uh, Dark Side of the Moon by uh, Pink Floyd is probably one of my favorite albums of all time. Wow. But the rap thing, I came up during the 90s. So, you know, the 90s was a little more hardcore. I'm not that type of guy, you know what I'm saying? So in my head, I could never be a rapper. I'm not a gangster, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so um, around the age of, well, when I was still at LIU, I was still writing rhymes. I was just doing it on the low. I wasn't telling anybody. I uh, It was kind of, I didn't have the confidence in, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. one day, Dre's roommate sold weed. As you can see, I love weed. So <laughs> Dre's roommate sold weed, so I was constantly knocking on his door. And I knew just Dre from around. And one day I knock on the door and, and his roommate wasn't there. And he goes, he ain't here right now. And he goes, yo, don't you rap? He was assuming I rap because I was hanging around these dudes who were rappers. So he was just oh. seeing me around with them. And he goes, don't you rap? And I'm like, I don't know what made me say yes, but I said <laughs> yes. And I, this is, I'm so early in my stages of becoming a rapper. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like thinking in my head, why the hell did I just tell him that, you know? So he goes, yeah, I got the recording. Uh, I got the recording stuff in my room. Now, this is around the time people are getting programs on their laptops and getting microphones and starting to do it themselves. You know what I'm saying? Right, so he, right. Yeah, come through one of these days and we'll record. So I had like, like I said, I was kind of secretly writing. I had probably two verses that I wrote and kind of memorized. So I go in there and I record them with him. Today, he says he still has those recording. I haven't heard them, but I would love to hear them. But yeah, that's just kind of how it all started for me. And then next thing, one thing led to another. And like I said before, I wound up meeting Mac Miller when he was 18. And uh, as his meteor rise was happening, he was like, yo, just come with me. Like, so I was touring with him, doing all this type of stuff. And it wow. just kind of got me a lot of attention around here where I'm from. And I just kind of built off of it from there. When, when did you release your first record? Because I, I couldn't find anything beyond, I think, the end of uh, 2011. Um, that's, I have a bunch of other stuff on other sites because I have like probably 14 or 15 projects that I released over a 10-year time period. Oh, wow. Uh, there are a lot of them are on that pit, but I have certain... Uh, I, remember, I remember that site. Yeah, they're all like... <laughs> I, I, put, I started releasing them on that pit, but I kept releasing them on there. But sometimes you have to renew your albums on on Spotify and all that stuff. And some of them I just haven't gotten around to renewing wow. yet. But um, I probably dropped my first tape in around 2008, 2009. Ooh. And then, like I said before, I was a wild party guy. So that was called Sorry for Partying. And it was kind of centered around this whole... In my head... I remember those commercials like in the 90s where it'd be like sounds of the 90s and it was like all these top 40 records from the 90s and you could buy a CD off a of TV. So in my head, I was going to put a party record together like that or just, you know, like if you were going to, you would just throw this CD, this mixtape in and if you could listen to it at a party, it just would serve as the party music. You know what I mean? So yeah. I put a lot of artists together from around this area and put them on their on a, um, mixtape because I figured... 
you know, a party by yourself. Who wants to hear a party CD with just me on it, you know? So <laughs> I did that and kind of developed this reputation around here as a party guy. So the club started kind of jumping on board with me and inviting me down and saying, hey, we'll give you this amount of bottles if you bring people. So I'd come with 50 people, 60, 70 people with me, you know what I mean? And yeah. kind of started this whole kind of legend around here, like – Invite him to the club. He's bringing 100 people with you. We don't do that anymore, but that's just kind of how it started for me. And it, I just, Especially yeah. not now. <laughs> right, especially not now. So, yeah, I probably dropped my first tape. So I've been partying around 2008, 2009. Wow. You know, I was going to say, because uh, being a transplant from Cincinnati, Ohio, and going to Brooklyn, like there's not a lot of respect for rappers unless you're from that Agreed. area. Agreed. I had to... Um, I had to battle a lot in the streets. It really started out battle rapping. So yeah. my friend, his name's Life. He's a he's an artist still as well. So we would go to Fulton Street. And Fulton Street in Brooklyn is like an outdoor mall. And they that's where Beat Street Records was back in the day. You could go to there and get your records, you know, stuff. Wow. So we would go to Beat Street, and we would stand outside of Beat Street. And people just walk. It's Brooklyn. So people were just walking down the street, and my, my boy would just yell out, yo, who rap? Who rap? Like. Somebody raps, you know what I'm saying? For sure, it's New York City. Somebody rap. So yeah. it would just start a, 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 a battle on the street. It would be him rapping and maybe against two guys, and then he'd be like, yo, you got to help me, like, here. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, he really wants me to rap now, you know what I'm saying? So one day I rap, and he, like, loses his shit, and he's like, he's from Ohio. He's from Ohio. He's like, Ohio niggas don't rap like that. They don't rap. And I'm like, that started building my confidence because I'm like, if this new, this guy from Brooklyn who can rap is telling me, like, I didn't think, at first I'm like, is he gassing me? But he's like, nah, you need to rap. He's like, your voice is crazy. Whoop de whoop. So it just kind of flipped. I don't know. One day I just turned into a rapper. It just happened, man. That's funny. Sometimes you got to fake it, man. And then you yeah, just yeah, dive in. Sure. Make it till you make it. <laughs> for sure. But I think it was just that starting in New York really did it for me. Like, that's the mecca of hip hop. And it's like, if they don't, if you can't make it there, you can't make, you can make it anywhere. That's the truth because it's like I feel yeah. like if they if they fuck with me and and say that I'm good, then maybe I'm on to something here. And I just kind of built it off of that. You know what I mean? And he's like, nah. He's like, that's crazy. He's like, you oh people from Ohio ain't supposed to rap like that. So I'm like, because you know most New Yorkers think if you're not from New York, you're from the country. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> this guy's from Ohio. He was kind of impressed just the fact that I was from Ohio and I could rap. Yeah, some of my favorite uh, hip hop artists are, are from uh, Brooklyn. You know, like Horse Notorious B.I.G. and and uh, Sean Price, uh, Most yeah. Def. Who who else? Who else? Uh, Jay-Z, Guru. Jay-Z, my favorite. That's why I moved to New York from growing up listening to that music. And I'm like, uh, yeah. I gotta go to New York. You know, in my head, when I was a teenager, if you want to act, you go to L.A. If you want to do music, you go to New York. You know what I'm saying? So I went to New York, and I felt like I gotta walk in the footsteps of these of, of my heroes. Yep. So I would do things like go to Marcy Projects where Jay-Z was from and just walk around the projects. <laughs> it was a little yeah. dicey back in the day when I was doing it, you know. But uh, I just did those things. I figured I had to follow my hero's footsteps. So that's how I really wound up in New York. So who who did you grow up loving? Jay-Z, Nas, uh, uh, DMX, just Big Pun, The Locks, uh, all your real hardcore MCs. I, but, but being from the Midwest, you get to be – to listen to everything. So it was a period in time where I listened to heavy New York East Coast music. It was a period of time where I listened to a lot of down south and it was just no limit music and cash money. Then um, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, it was all West Coast music because third grade is when, fourth grade is when 
Dr. Dre dropped the chronic, so I used to have to get that tape from my neighbor and I dubbed the tape and I had to hide it from my parents because the tape had cussing in it. So that's how young <laughs> I was. And then I can remember in sixth grade when uh, Doggy Style came out, Snoop's first album. So, I mean, I've just listened to everything growing up. You know what I mean? My mom was, uh, was a music head in the house, so she was always playing anything from Prince to Kumo D, you know what I'm saying? So it was just, we always had a wide variety of music in the house. Yeah. I really dug uh, like uh, Big Daddy Kane. He's from, he's from Brooklyn as well. Yep. yep, yep. My mother thinks he's cute. She always had a crush on him. <laughs> <laughs> she always had a crush on him. I never knew who, what these guys look like. I just listened to their music and that was it. I had all the records. My mom had records back in the day and I'm dating myself crazy here, but uh, she, uh, she always took me to the record store, so that was just one thing I was always fascinated in is going to um, get records with her, and uh, she just kind of got me into this. Uh, she's my early musical inspiration and just taught me. I can just remember being five, six years old and her listening to Purple Rain and cleaning the house, and I could remember sitting there thinking, how do they get the music onto this tape? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I was, I, I've always been fascinated with that process since I can remember, and it was always like... And she would tell me, like, they do it in a studio. And I'm so young, I'm like, what the hell's a studio? You know what I mean? So yeah. my whole life, I think that's what drew me to the picture in the back of the magazine was a picture of a soundboard they had. So I've always kind of been drawn to this lifestyle. Yeah, same here. I mean, I used to do that too and, and dub my own mixtapes and, and pretend to be a DJ. <laughs> but I never imagined that I would actually become one. Right. It was just something that I, that I loved as a kid. And it wasn't until college I was introduced to it and dove into it right so i think was i never i never knew being from the midwest and when i went to new york i learned all those big record labels are in new york so i would tell my new york friends like y'all got this stuff in your backyard like you know what i mean like me i had to come learn how this thing works because i never realized i always used to think like how do they get to the point where i see them on tv you know what i mean or how do they get to the point where their record is in a store like you know what i mean i never knew you, you don't really see that part when you're from the Midwest. You just see something on TV and that's that. They're famous. Yeah. I mean, so I was always kind of fascinated how they got from point A to that point. And that just, you know, I learned the grind and I learned the game over the years. I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I've learned is I'm from that last little era of pounding the pavement where you had to get out there in them streets and be in people's faces. You know, now we got the internet, which is a good tool, and I, I use it to my advantage. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, but I've kind of blended both styles of grinding. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, it's a couple generations behind me. I feel like they don't have that pound of payment. They think they can just sit behind their computer right. and send people links all day and want people to get, you know, in tune with their music. And I'm like, that's not really, that works to a certain extent. Then you got to be back. You got to be out here in these people's faces. So I was mm -hmm. bust to tour with big artists and do a lot of tours. So I've toured with Talib Kweli, like I said, from Mac Miller to Talib Kweli. So I got to be out into the, the United States and, and and promoting my brand all through the years doing that. You know, so I kind of blended those styles of pound the pavement and use the internet to your advantage. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, kind of change the directions. Who do you like now? Who who impresses you like today? What kind of artists? Um, I'm really, li I, I like, I'm weird. So I don't really listen to a lot of people because uh, I don't want to sound like nobody. And I've yeah. never really been 
compare it to anybody as I can think back. Like nobody's ever been to me like, man, you kind of sound like whoop-de-whoop because I can, I've been listening to music. So I'm a fan of music first. You know what I'm saying? I I think I'm a fan first. I'm a critic second. And then I'm an artist because I have been a fan so long. I feel like I know how to critique music. You know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. I feel like if I listen to someone a lot, then I'll start to sound like them because I can listen to other people and say he listens to Two Chains or he listens to Jeezy because I can hear it in his music. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I kind of try to stay away from listening to people, but I do like Travis Scott. I do like Drake, of course. Um, who else is really dope right now? I mean, it's a lot of people. Uh, I don't know, kind of weird. I get, I find an artist that I like and I kind of stick with them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at my, I like J. Cole, listen to a lot of J. Cole, a lot of Kendrick. Uh, I do listen to a lot of Kendrick. I like the baby right now. The baby, I like, kind of like, I like his grind. Like before that pandemic, that dude was really like on it with the shows and yeah. being all the places he needed to be. He needed to stop beating people up, but <laughs> he was, <laughs> he was doing a good job. I was, you know, noticing his grind. Um, I like uh, Griselda, um, which is a group out of Buffalo, New York, that Eminem signed. Uh, I like M, of course. Uh, just those type of artists like that, you know. Um, G-Eazy. Uh, I'm trying to just think of names off the top of my head here. Uh, those type of artists. I don't know, kind of those pop, like, I'm starting to push over into that pop realm, as you see. So I kind of like, I, I kind of like pop and been listening to some pop music more. Yeah. Well, it's good yeah. to be diverse in music, <clears throat> listen to other stuff. It's not good to just stick with right. who's in your circle because then you end up just boxing yourself in. Yeah, and I've never been – I think I'm, I'm with my age and uh, I've been able to use that to my advantage because of my musical knowledge to not box myself in, to learn, to know when to adapt, to know when – you know, I could – I love hip hop music, hard like hardcore that that stuff that makes you think. Mm-hmm. I can write that shit all day, but it's not that popular. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, you can get a fan base from that, and kind of they stick with you from here, from there. But at the end of the day, I got a family to feed now, so I gotta go out there yep. and check. So you gotta, you know, I don't know too many people who. My, Dre always gives me credit for being able to write like a a, a, a record where I'm kind of cussing and. and a little more derogatory to things, you know what I'm saying? And then yeah, turn around, irrelevant. Write, right? And then turn around and write a pop record like Goat or Notorious or Rings. You know what I mean? Like, because that's your moneymaker. <laughs> yeah, right. But I just know how to set, put myself in two spaces. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, all right, I know this one. I gotta kind of. I always tell them I'm writing rap rap jingles that ain't corny because they're you can't cuss. You got to figure out a way when you're writing to not cuss, but still sound cool. You feel what I'm saying? Right, right. Like, so that uh, that's always a challenge with me for those records. But I just have developed over the years in a, a songwriter more than anything. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of like to step into different roles inside of my head as I write these songs. You know what I mean? So, yeah. a lot, the, like I said, the hip hop shit is cool, but I love writing these pop records because it's like, I don't know. I don't think a lot of people could do it. You know what I'm saying? So I kind of, I kind of pat myself on the back for that. Well, it's definitely a gift to be able to go back and forth. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Besides uh, Chelsea, do you work with any other artists? Well, I'm working uh, in in LA with Out of Sight, of course. 
Cook uh, okay. Classics, who's our producer at the label. Uh, they just signed another producer engineer named Ray Garrison, who is Chelsea's producer. Oh. They signed Chelsea's producer and engineer. And I've been working, me and, like I said, me and Chelsea did a record three weeks ago in uh, Burbank. And now I'm working with Ray. So I'm going to come out Sunday. And I think I'll start Tuesday. We're going to start working on records that uh, with Ray. So Ray Garrison out there. So L.A. Circle is kind of different. Um, I know a lot. Um, Steve Cannon, who's actually my cousin, he is uh, he's a rapper. He, he raps with um, Little Zan. Mm-hmm. out there in LA so my cousin Steve like I plan on doing some work with him you know what I mean I'm just I'm open to work with anybody at this point especially coming to LA now and, and, and being able to open my my musical palette if you will mm-hmm. with a lot of producers and stuff that I know out there a lot of underground producers and stuff like that yeah and it's a good opportunity especially you don't have to stress about touring right now because right. we're forced to be at home no venues are open you right. know I would definitely be touring right now. That's for sure. And I, I've had to spend a lot of this time with my family. And in this time we actually drove out to LA last time. Cause I was like, let's just drive. Like, and <laughs> I, I packed all three kids into the car and my wife and we drove out, out to LA and back, which was a fun experience. And I wouldn't have gotten to do, do that had it wasn't all this going on. Cause I'd be on the road right now. So it's cool. You know what I mean? I kind of missed the stage because I think that's a big part of my persona. Yeah. I think, some people hear my music and they're like, all right, that's cool. And then when they see me perform, then they get it and it just kind of clicks to them. You know what I'm saying? So right. I'm missing that aspect of things, but I hopefully we'll get back to that soon, you know? Nothing can replace being on the stage, Nothing. feeling the energy of the crowd, them feeling the energy from you, and it just kind of goes back and forth and you're just sweating, they're sweating. And, you know, watching it on your phone – it's not the same thing at all. Right, right. That's why <laughs> I've commended Chelsea because what Chelsea has figured out is to drop live performances that she just records in her house. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And uh, she's been dropping those. And it's those, like I said, we as artists have had to adapt. We have to find out different ways to drop content now and, and just kind of to stay up on things. And I, um, I told her recently, like, that's a good ass idea. So, Hopefully, I'm going to be doing the same thing soon when um, I get a setup out there. So, I mean, as you yeah. know, moving to L.A. from Ohio is a big it's a big thing. You know what I mean? So That's we'll a long there. drive. Yeah. Now, well, we'll, <laughs> well I was going to say I'll be flying this time. Oh. Well, what I'm coming out for for like two weeks, and I got to come back here. And then we're um, we're in the process of packing up this crib now. And then we're going to load everything into a U-Haul. And I'm going to strap my SUV onto the back of the U-Haul. And then I'm going to fly the kids and my wife they're going to fly out there and then I'm going to drive back out there with my friend. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. And then we're Airbnb in it until we find a, uh, a permanent house to rent. So wow. That, that's a feat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, I mean, honestly, I've done all I can do here musically. Uh, yeah. I, like I've been on every radio station. I performed every venue. I've, you name it, I've done it. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah. yo, I can continue to beat this dead horse if I want to, or I can go ahead and, uh, you know, take some chances. And I, like I said, I moved to New York City eight days after 9-11. So, last, so it's kind of funny. I was telling my wife, I said, last time there was a big event in, in America like this, I was moving to New York. And now here we are moving to LA. The next time there's a big catastrophic event here as well. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I always say the world, the world crumbling, it's, be crumbling around me, but I'm still going to. Or, you know, or it's I, your fault. <laughs> or it's my fault. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I said the world could be crumbling around me, but I'm still going to go after this thing. So besides moving to L.A., what else do you have in store once you get there? 
Um, I'm gonna be working on new music, of course. Uh, mm -hmm. I wanna, I, I, so when I drop music with 83 Sound, I drop under the name Santino. Right. But I also have music of my own that I drop under the name Santino Corleone. So I'm gonna do a lot, I, have, I also own my own record label. So that I drop my Santino Corleone music under my record label insignia. Mm -hmm. And I got a lot of Santino Corleone music I'm gonna be working on. Of course, a lot of 83 sound music uh, we'll be working on. I've got a couple R&B singers from um, Cincinnati area who I work, who I'm working with now, kind of behind the scenes. So um, just I constantly write, constantly record, and once I kind of feel like I got a few records and where I can make it into a project, it usually kind of turns into that. Um, I think right now I'm gonna probably be dropping some more EPs because I don't think with people's attention span right now. Nobody kind of wants to hear an album with 17 records on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. they get kind of sick. Like, so something with about four to six records, drop something like that, and just keep working. You know, until we figure this whole this whole pandemic thing out, and hopefully we'll be able to get in the venue soon and start performing. Because I definitely want to start performing on the LA circuit. Yeah, I remember when EPs was like a brand new thing, and and I was like, this is weird not having not hearing beyond four tracks or five tracks. Right. Yeah, now nah, on them day, on them days where you're putting twelve tracks on the record, I'd have to record thirty songs to find twelve. Like you know what I mean? So now I can do probably ten to fifteen records and pick four to six out of them that are good. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So it, um, what happens is I think is with the new generation, these kids can record at home and they record themselves. So the music just turning over so fast. You know what I'm yeah. saying? We eighty three are constantly doing records with them. So what? What worked to our advantage is before the pandemic, we probably had 10 or 15 records already done. You know what I'm right. saying? So we didn't have to scramble when this all went, everybody got on lockdown. It wasn't like, well, oh, we can't do anything. I don't, I can't go to the studio, you know? So we had all these records kind of sitting and, you know, we got some plans for them. We got plans for rings, um, fingers crossed on some placements that they've been work, trying to work out. And uh, so just working, man, just trying to figure out this whole pandemic shit and, and how 2020 is going to end and, 2021 and you know yep. it just, it's, it's one day at a time one foot in front of the other hopefully we can get back to some sort of normal and, and get some of these venues to reopen again because uh, I have a feeling a lot of these venues are never going to reopen because there's no right. real bailout for them for sure and I, um, I was thinking that too because I'm thinking like how what do we do what happens moving forward because I don't feel like things will ever be the same again and I don't no. mean it, it's like Oh, we'll never have concerts again. I think we'll have all that shit again. It just, it just things won't be the same as they used to be. And I feel like there'll be a. I always see opportunities opening up in times like this. Like, like you said, a lot of these venues ain't gonna be opening. So, so the ones that are, they're gonna have a lot of shows going on. Like once that, the minute they say we can have sporting events and concerts and stuff like that, there'll be all type of concerts and shows popping up. I feel like, and I feel like that's the perfect time to be an artist and, and to get on them and right. Show I mean, as soon as you have a, a tour that you're allowed to have people, it's going to sell out quick. Quick, because you know what I mean? People and are tired like, of sitting at home. Yeah, it's like the perfect time for that. So that moment that happens, I'm going to be ready and have a bunch of music. And Because once I'll be able to get on the road, and, and it's always good to have a bunch of music because it's hard to record on the road. It's hard to get into a studio because you just got so much going on. And I've always been taught to 
record a bunch of records before you hit the road. That way, once you get on the road, you can drop things as, as you go. And that kind of method works for us here, like I said, with the pandemic, because we had a bunch of records just sitting there waiting, you know, to get mixed and mastered. So uh, with the whole 83 sound, they've been dropping a new record every Friday from a different artist on the label. And it's called uh, Summer of 83. The campaign is called Summer of 83. So the nice. first week was Chelsea's record um, right now. And then the second week was my record, Rings. And then Out of Sight dropped the record. And I forget who they dropped this week. But uh, I drop again on 814. And it's a record called Day One. And it's an EDM record with uh, the electronic DJ we have signed to the label named Gold House. So I'm really wow. looking for that one. That's awesome. Yeah, and that was a record they took. They took vocals from something that I did. And then they sent it to Gold House, and he took the acapella and put an EDM beat behind it. I was like, yo, I've never heard me Whoa. on that type of shit. So, yeah, I'm really <laughs> excited about that record. Well, my friend, it was great having you on the show. Thank you. If there's anything else that you wanted to talk about that we didn't, we didn't touch? or I mean, just follow me on all of your sites, uh, Sant at Santino Corleone on everything, you know, just, uh, on YouTube at uh, www.youtube.com backslash Santino Corleone TV. Um, I spell Corleone with no E. Traditionally in Italian, you spell it C-O-R-L-E-O-N-E. I don't spell it with an E. Uh, <laughs> kind of small, quick backstory to that. My real name is Santino. And when I became a rapper, I'm like, I need a rap name. And then my boy was like, dude, your name is from the Godfather. Why don't you use that? <laughs> so I was like, yeah, you got a point. You know what I mean? So that's how that happens. So when you look me up, I do spell Corleone without an E. You know what I mean? So, And I'm on all digital streaming sites, you or iTunes, Spotify, Shazam, all that stuff. You name it, I'm there. So you're not related to, to Sonny? <laughs> no, I'm not related to Sonny. I always have had a fear of toll booths growing up. Because I'm like, Mom, why you name me after a mobster who got killed in a toll booth? Like, he got his keys. Like, she was like, I thought James Conn was cute when I was 16. So that movie came out when she was 16, and she said, I'm going to name my first son Santino. And 10 years later, I was born. So I was always Santino. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Great story, man. Thank you, man. All right, brother. Well, good luck to you and, and uh, be safe on your trip out to LA. Hopefully, yeah, we'll we get up, man. We'll get up in person soon. Yeah, definitely. All right, for brother. Sure. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this edition of KGUP Presents. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and also listen to our radio station at www.kgup1065.com. And if you have Amazon Alexa, just say, Alexa, play KGUP FM. We're also on Spotify, YouTube Music, and YouTube. Just type KGUP FM or KGUP Presents. From all of us at KGUP FM Emerge Radio and KGUP Presents, this is Mikey J. I'm out. Come out and play! Yay! Turn out the beat. Yeah. I know this road, I've been down it up.
understand The ups and the downs is all part of the plan I walk alone, ain't no holding my hand Like part of my friend Where was all you when I started? Most of my friends, they turn out to be off. I know this road, I've been down it a lot. I hold it down, ain't no taking my spot. We are the warriors, we are the glorious. You know my story was, we're going down, Tori.